Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, we're glad you're here and hope that God meets you through his word. Right now we're in a series in the life of Solomon called Cracks in the Foundation. His story as a king was told to explain why Israel was carried off into exile and it helps us to examine the cracks in the foundation of our own lives and deal with them before they spread. Today's passage looks at the cracks in Solomon's priorities. His greatest achievement as a king was, as we saw last time, the building of the house of God. But then it was overshadowed by the castle that he built for himself. And I don't think that the temptations Solomon faced were all that unique. Just about everyone is tempted to put something or someone before God as the priority in their lives. For Arthur Werner, it was his motorcycle. Werner drove a 1990 Harley-Davidson Heritage Softail. After 42 years as a steel worker, he spent his retirement bonus on the bike, and it was a well-deserved reward. But the bike came to define him. <laughs> Riding was more than a hobby, it became his life. His daughter-in-law said that he lived for the bike. But probably the greatest evidence of the place in his priorities was the request he made of the funeral home where his life would be celebrated. He asked that he be laid to rest in the sidecar of his Harley Davidson, as if he was riding off into the next life. As friends, neighbors, and family members gathered to reflect on his life, they would see on display before them the thing that was most important to him. Not his faith, not his family, not his contributions to society, but his motorcycle. While most of us won't make such a visible display of our priorities, they will be memorialized in people's minds just the same. There are a lot of details about our lives that people won't remember, but they will remember what was most important to us. When they reflect on your life, what will they see as your number one? What will they say was your real passion? The temple that Solomon built was an enduring legacy of his life. But his palace was a testimony to the fact that God wasn't the priority in his life. And his life forces us to examine our own. How do we evaluate God's place in our lives? How can we know if our priorities are out of balance? And what can we, what can we do about them if they are? To help us think about these questions, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll read 1 Kings 7, verses 1 to 12. Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished his entire house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, and its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams on the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. There were window frames in three rows and windows, a window opposite window in three tiers. All the doorways and windows had square frames and window was opposite window in three tiers. And he made the hall of pillars its length was 50 cubits and its breadth 30 cubits. There was a porch in front with the pillars and a canopy in front of them. 
And he made the hall of the thrones where he was to pronounce judgment, even the hall of judgment. It was finished with cedar from floor to rafter. His own house where he was to dwell in the other court back of the hall was of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken in marriage. All these were made of costly stones, cut according to measure, sawed with saws back and front, even from the foundation to the coping and from the outside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, stones of eight and ten cubits, and above were costly stones cut according to measurement and cedar. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around, and a course of cedar beams. So had the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house. This is the word of God. Now, sometimes the Bible's teachings are direct and obvious. Other times there are more subtle clues that give the meaning. In this passage, the teachings are understated, but clear just the same. The passage helps us to examine our priorities and see when our home has become a castle. The first way we can see that tendency in our lives is with our use of time. Your home becomes a castle when you prioritize time for yourself over time for God. Now we saw last time how Solomon had built the temple. It was a great accomplishment and he constructed it faithfully. Chapter 6 ends its description of its establishment with these words in verse 37. It says, he was seven years in building it. Now that's a pretty major undertaking. He spent more time building the temple than we did building our parking lot. <laughs> and presumably he didn't have a problem waiting on permits from City Hall. So Solomon spent a considerable time doing a good thing. But right next to that statement that he took seven years to build the temple, it says in chapter 7, verse 1, Solomon was building his own house 13 years. <laughs> now, those two verses are lined up like that for a purpose. They're designed to tell us something about Solomon's priorities. It's not that there was anything wrong for a king to live in a palace. He was responsible for entertaining guests and state dignitaries, so it was appropriate that he had a home that suited his position. But the fact is, he already had one. In fact, the thing that motivated his father David to build a temple in the first place was that he felt guilty that he had this gorgeous cedar palace while God was still housed in the tabernacle, which was essentially a big tent. In 2 Samuel 7-2, David says to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So Solomon was already living in a luxurious palace, and it was a palace made of cedar, and that's a point that's made a number of at a number of places because it was a premium imported building material. But as he sees the temple being made, he can't help but feel envious. There's all this imported gold and cedar, and they've got the latest building techniques. And Solomon ends up doing what the 10th commandment told him not to do. He's coveting his neighbor's house. And he ends up spending, uh, spending twice as long building himself a new palace as he did building the temple of the Lord. But you don't have to have God as your neighbor to let envy drive you to turn your home into a castle. 
Today, there are entire television channels dedicated to home renovations and upgrades. And there isn't a home improvement show that I don't like. I watch a show called Backyard Builds, and I don't even have a backyard. <laughs> but the subtle message of all those shows is that joy and fulfillment can be yours if you just spend enough money on an upgrade or a new home. And that message will turn your home into your idol and distort the way you spend your time. Renovations are good because being a good steward of what God has given you glorifies Him. But when envy drives you to spend twice as much time on yourself as you spend on God, it betrays your real priorities and robs you of your legacy. When the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, one of the ways that we do that is through our time. Do you prioritize time with God? Does he get your best time in the morning? Or is he the last thing you get around to? Is worship with God's people the first priority of your week or what you do when you don't have anything better planned? Do you make time for fellowship, service, and witness? Or do you always seem to be too busy with other things? Don't let envy and castle building rob you of the time that you could offer to God. So we see our priorities in how we spend our time, but we also see them in how we spend our money. Your home becomes a castle when you prioritize money for yourself over money for God. How we manage your finances is a testimony to what matters most in our lives. Now, as you look at the description of Solomon's palace, you get a sense of why it took so long to complete. There were five buildings in all. The first of these was bigger than the entire temple. So you can imagine just the scale of it and how it dwarfed the house that he built for God. The first building was called the House of the Forest of Lebanon. And that was because it was filled with cedar pil pillars and covered with cedar planks and beams. We already said cedar was a luxury building item. But Solomon has used so much of it that you can be in a building in his palace and it looks like you're standing in a cedar forest. And that was just the storage shed for his military weapons. Verse 6 describes the hill, hall of pillars, which was almost the same size as the temple. And then verse 7, the hall of the throne where Solomon would sit to pronounce judgment in various cases. It was like the Supreme Court of Israel. And finally, in verse 8, there are two more buildings, one for Solomon and one for his wife. Everything about the palace expressed luxury. When he didn't use cedar, he used stone. Verse 10 describes uh, stones that were 12 to 15 feet wide. And almost every time the stones are mentioned, they're called costly to remind us of how expensive everything was. It's not enough that he's been blessed by God. It's as if he needs to show people how much blessing he has. But it's not just extravagance that was motivating his spending. Part of it also was his compromise. Anyone find it strange that he had to build a separate place for uh, a separate palace building for his wife? Verse 8 tells us that it was for Pharaoh's daughter. But 2 Chronicles 8.11 gives an explanation. It says, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel, for the places to which the ark of the Lord has come 
are holy. <laughs> Do you hear what he's saying? The ark of the Lord is holy. And so if my wife stays in the palace, there might be trouble. So I'll build her her own palace. At first, you think he's being generous and giving the queen her own place, but then you realize that he's afraid that if she gets too close to the Lord, either she's going to get struck down or he is. And that's not because she's Egyptian. It's because she's rejected the Lord and worships the idols instead. And we're left wondering, so why did you marry her then? Solomon's compromise has added 20% to his building budget. And that's often what happens when we don't put the Lord first in everything. We end up paying for our sin and compromise. We end up wasting money that could otherwise have been used to bless others. Now, there's a superficial way that you could mishear this message. During the pandemic, we've all been staying at home a lot more, and that's resulted in a boom in the home re renovation industry. <laughs> I can just picture some husbands hearing this message and elbowing their wives saying, I knew we shouldn't have renovated that bathroom. <laughs> but that's not the point of this message or of this passage. Solomon's not held up to make us feel guilty for taking care of the home that God has provided us with. The warning is deeper than that. The warning is that if you splurge on yourself and skimp on God, it's a sign of a heart that's not right with the Lord. If you're giving generously to your home improvements and cheaply to God, what does that say about your faith and what you really value? The way that Jesus states the warning is this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The message is that if you're not careful, money can be like a God that competes for your allegiance. And we can't straddle the fence with our loyalties. There can be only one number one. The reality is there are likely people hearing this message that think they worship God, but they're living for what money promises. They're controlled by what money can buy. They look to money for their hope and security and value and acceptance. Solomon's bank statement showed that he had a divided heart. What does yours reveal about you? You can see whether your homes become a castle in the way you prioritize your time and your money. But you can also see that your homes become a castle when you're more urgent about your kingdom than about God's kingdom. When the things of God just never feel all that pressing. When everything about God just feels a little extracurricular. That gets brought out in this passage in a curious way. Chapter 6 ends with a statement about the completion of the temple. In chapter 6, verse 38, it says, The house was finished in all its parts and according to all its specifications. And you get the impression the temple is good to go. But then at the end of chapter 7, you find this note. Thus, all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. What's going on? Did Solomon finish the temple at the end of chapter 6 or at the end of chapter 7? Well, at the end of chapter 6, the temple structure is, is built. It's complete, but God can't be worshipped there yet. That's because none of the furnishings have been done. He's got a shell of a house for God, 
but feel like there's no furniture or appliances. But as Solomon looks at how nice and new the temple is, all he can think about is how he wants an upgrade himself. And so he puts off the dedication of the temple for another 13 years while he focuses on his own temple. He interrupts a work that has begun for God's kingdom, and for over a decade, he dedicates himself to his own kingdom. Compare that attitude to what it says about David's attitude to the temple in Psalm 132, verses 3 to 5. He says this, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Now, you know what's important by what keeps you up at night. David could barely sleep before he had done all he could do to build the temple. Solomon was content to put it off for 13 years while he built himself a five-building palace complex. The same thing happened when the people returned from exile, were challenged to rebuild the temple that the Babylonians had destroyed. They kept putting off the house of God, but they didn't waste any time on their own houses. Haggai chapter 1 gives God's exchange with the people. It says, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then the Lord responds, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? See, what was happening was they were trying to spiritualize their delay, saying it just wasn't the right time. But in reality, they were just self-absorbed, and they limped along in their lives as a result. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Everything that's going on in your life seems huge, and the things of God just never feel all that urgent to you. You've got a dozen things in your life that have all your attention, but God's priorities can always wait for another day. I read this week of an exchange that Rico Tice had with an elderly woman at a funeral. She asked him, do you know what failure is? <laughs> and she said, failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. And he added, success is hearing well done from the only lips that matter. Do you believe that? Many people only regain that perspective at the funeral, or after they've retired, or when they hit a crisis or a health scare. Has building your own kingdom got you so distracted that you never give thought to the kingdom of God? That's never a recipe for peace or satisfaction. Jesus calls us to a better way. He's the one who famously said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He didn't suggest this as some kind of abstract philosophy or way of life only open to people in full-time ministry. He was addressing people who had all kinds of worries and concerns. They were worried about food and clothing, not backyard builds and basement renovations. But he offered them reassurance. If they would only put God and his righteousness first, if they would only treat God the way God deserves to be treated, then they would see that he's more than able to care for his children. The problem is that we're often too busy acting like our own gods that we never really rely on him. 
And so he leaves us so we can see how unfit we are to be our own gods. And that's the heart of the issue for all of us this morning. Solomon spent more time, spent more money, and felt more urgency for his own house than he did for God's house. And that was because he thought more of himself than he did of God. Even as he was worshiping God, he was acting like his own God. And we all need to examine our hearts and ask whether that's not true of us as well. Do you need to make some adjustments in the time God gets in your day or in your week? Make time for, for study of the Bible and prayer. Make time for fellowship and worship. Make time for witness and service. Tell God in, in your time that he has your attention. Do you need to make some adjustments in the way you manage your money? Give God the first of your finances, not your leftovers. And let his heart and values guide the way that you manage all of it. Tell God in your money that he has your trust. Do you need to make some adjustments to your priorities? Put God first. Put his kingdom on your agenda. And tell God through the urgency you show for his kingdom that he's got your commitment. Because it's only as we treat God as God in our lives that we can see what God can do in our lives. Until then, we're just like acting like our own gods and we're not up for the task. Let's ask, ask for his help in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we call out to you for the help that only you can provide. Help us to reorder, reorder our lives in a way that reflects what we know in our hearts to be true, that you are God and we're not. That it is in your acceptance and good pleasure and hearing this, the, the phrase, well done from you, that there is true success in life. Keep us, Father, from finding our success in achieving things that don't ultimately matter. And help us to find our satisfaction in you. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to examine your priorities and see what it means to put God first in your life. If it stirred up questions or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, leave a comment below or send me an email. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.